Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn to Luke chapter 7? We're going to uh, read a few verses there. If you don't have one, uh, we've got the words on the uh, screens. Uh, I also think there are the Bibles in the uh, pews in front of you there where the hymnals are. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and I'm reading today from the English Standard Version. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? And at, again, I plan to end praying the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Today we'll use the word debtors as opposed to trespasses. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we have been moved already by music and by the way you have used your spirit to remind us of your compassion, your mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness, your salvation. God, through all of those, we have been touched and realized just how forgiven we are. We pray, Father, that we would do the same thing you've taught uh, your disciples to do when you say, uh, we forgive us in the same way or as we forgive others. God, we want to get better at that. So I ask you to take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the preparations of this past week, and use all of them to accomplish whatever it is you're wanting to accomplish in all the people that you have gathered here today. For the truth is, Lord, we came here for you. We may have come here out of habit. We may have come here to hear the music or the preaching or some other reason. But God, 
what we really need is a word from you. And so we say the same thing that Simon said, hopefully with a different attitude. We say, say it, teacher. Speak to our hearts so that we hear from you. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Now would you join me in praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is a, a, an incident in the life of, life of Jesus where Jesus is still in the upper part of Galilee in the northern part of of Israel, he's not gone down into the uh, area around Jerusalem where he spent a lot of time, but he's he's in the more the more rural area up in there, and he's going here, there, and everywhere. And opposition to him is gradually increasing, but but there's still a lot of curiosity about about who is this new teacher, who is who is this that's coming talking about God, and so while we don't really know the motive of the Pharisee who invited him to dinner. Uh, I have a bad habit. I like to guess. Do any of y'all guess other people's motives? Oh, how wonderful. A perfect group of people. Um, we, you know, when we don't really know why somebody says what they say or why they do what they do, we kind of assign them a motive and we figure that becomes fact, you know. So we don't really know what his motive was. Uh, I, I like to think, I mean, you know, Kurt's opinion uh, I, I think his motive was he wanted to have the next big thing at, at his house. That's why he invited a lot of other, he says there were other people there. So I imagine, you know, there's, it's kind of like there's this great celebrity coming around. And in those days, being a preacher was a celebrity and not an albatross around your neck. But they, they invited Jesus, you know, to come into towns. And everybody went to hear him, crowds, even thousands of people. So I think this Pharisee, who was a religious leader in a small place, at a synagogue, he invites Jesus to come to dinner, kind of like having a celebrity come over to your home. And he invited a few of, of his friends, people like him. Now, a Pharisee is a religious person. This is a, this is a religious, moral person, one of the upstanding members of the community. And so he has Jesus there. And the dinner is normally not held uh, back in your kitchen or in your formal dining room. There's normally kind of a courtyard out in some of their houses, and the courtyard is actually outside. And so people can walk by and they can actually see what's going on. And if you have a, a celebrity there, there are a lot of people watching to see what goes on. And so they're having dinner. They're all having dinner there. And there's Simon and there's, you know, Mrs. Simon probably. And, and there are several other Pharisees around there. And then there's Jesus over here. And they, they're not sitting in chairs. They, they sit on the floor, I mean on the ground rather, and kind of put their feet behind them. And all of a sudden, this, this woman comes in because there's not like we have in our homes doors and doorbells and all of that. You could walk right into the courtyard. This woman walks into the courtyard, comes over to Jesus, stands behind him, and begins weeping. And as she weeps, her tears fall on the feet of Jesus. And so she did something that I can never do. She knelt down and dried his feet with her hair. Um, I, I, I'll never be able to do that. Maybe in heaven I'll have hair. My gut says that in heaven y'all will be bald. That's more like it. You know, I think that's probably what's going to happen. But she kneels down and she wipes off his hair. And Simon, the religious guy, 
the religious guy kind of, he kind of, do any of y'all, have any of y'all ever studied body language? Do you know what this means? I mean, I don't have to tell you, you know exactly what that means. It means uh, I quit listening. Uh, I, uh, you know, that kind of, when you're, you know, whenever, uh, husbands, if you ever see your wife do that, shut up. Yeah, it's a good time to be quiet, you know, but, yeah, but you, can, you can almost see Simon looking over there at this woman. And she is, she's not only near Jesus, she is washing his feet and touching him and, and right up close with him. See, the, uh, the Pharisees were very religious. And by that, I mean that they, they followed the rules all the time. And they interpreted the scriptures very, very strictly. Um, for example, if, if you were to take the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, they would have, you know, several hundred interpretations of that, of things that constituted adultery. And one of them, which this is actually in, in some of the Jewish commentaries, one of them is to look at a sinful person. Now, this woman is recognized in the community as being a sinful person. Some like to say she's a prostitute. We don't know that. It doesn't say that she is. Some say it was Mary Magdalene. They get that confused with another situation, Matthew 26, where a woman anointed the head of Jesus. You know, and the, and the disciples got upset with it, not Simon. But this is, this is Simon. So this woman's done this. She's a sinful woman. Everybody knows about it. And Simon is probably one of the Pharisees that is nicknamed the bruised and battered ones. Bruised and battered. Uh, I had a stroke about 15 years ago, and I have to take a lot of blood thinners. I take blood thinners, so you can just come up and push on my arm, and I'll turn, you know, there'll be a bruise there. Whatever. Well, these guys were bruised and battered because they would not look at someone who was a sinful person. They actually had some people who would help them know whenever a sinful woman was coming from the other direction that would let them know so that they would close their eyes as they walked and they would bump into people, animals, walls, doors, and were bruised and battered. But they thought they were doing, this is what Jesus, I mean, this is what God wanted was for them to do that. So that's what this woman is. I mean, this man is. So Simon looks at this woman and she, he's, Jesus is, is right there with her, letting her touch him and anoint his feet and drying her, his feet with her hair. And Simon says to himself, did you notice that? Simon says to himself, he says, if this man, verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. It's, it's like at, at that moment, Simon divided the, the room into us, the righteous, godly Pharisees, the people who were moral, right, upstanding people, the sinners, the wicked people like this woman who could be a prostitute or a thief or whatever, and then there's Jesus who Simon thought was actually a fraud. If he was a prophet, he would know. But what he was saying was, if he was truly a man of God, he would do what I do. He would act towards her the way that I would. It's like John Ortberg's got a new book out. It's called, I Would Like You Much More If You Were More Like Me. <laughs> and that's what he's saying here. So Jesus then turns to Simon. And I love what he says. He, uh, 
He says, Simon, verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. You know, in your outline today, I tried to put an outline in there for you. Today, um, there's a little place where it says, what did God say to me today? What did God say to me during the music? What did God say to me during the prayers? What did God say to me during the announcements? What did God say to me when the ball guy was talking? What, what, what did God say to me today? And, and if I would love for you to go to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever it is you want to say to me, say it. Say it. See, I, I think, now this is Kurt's opinion. I think there's a lot of us that go to church and we don't really expect God to say anything to us. You know, we just want to go to church, sing the songs, don't go to sleep during the sermon, and maybe go home and, and beat the Methodists to, the, you know, to lunch. That that's our biggest goal. And many of us don't really expect God to say anything. You know, and, and God has prepared you and brought you here today, not to be religious, but he's brought you today, here today because he actually likes you. And, and he loves you. And he wants you to hear what he's got to say to you through this text. And so Jesus said to Simon, say it, teacher. I think, I think it's appropriate to say the Holy Spirit would say to every one of you, say it, teacher. And Jesus tells him a story. You know how Jesus always do that, does that. He always loves stories. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors, and one owed him $500. A denarii was roughly a, a day's wage. So one of them owed a, a, a whole lot of money, and one of them owed him a very little bit of money. And then the person forgave, forgave both of them. And he, and he says to Simon, he says, Simon, which one do you think would love him more? And he says, well, I think the one that was uh, forgiven the larger debt. And then Jesus says, when I came into your house, you didn't do any of the things that people... that." Um, uh, some, the host would normally do when they have a guest in their home. In, in, the, in the culture, the Jewish culture of that time, when you had a great uh, honored person, a guest, someone of honor that you were inviting to dinner, you would meet them at the door. You would kiss them on both cheeks. Uh, some, uh, most of the time, if it was like a teacher, you would uh, take a, a bit of <clears throat> oil and touch the forehead, which is considered anointing them with oil. And then either you or your servants would come and take their sandals off and wash their feet in a little bowl of water and then dry them off. And that's what you would do to anyone that you considered an honored guest. And Jesus says, you didn't do any of these. And she has actually done all of these. So the most religious person in the room didn't do what the most irreligious person in the room actually did. And so he asked Simon a question, you know, and Simon's thinking about which one owes the most and which one forgives and everything. And Jesus tells him a basic principle. Those who have been forgiven a lot often are far more grateful, far more merciful to others than those who forget just how much they've been forgiven of. And Jesus turns to the woman and he says this beautiful statement. It's the last verse in the passage. Your faith has saved you. For, you know, we who are believers in Jesus Christ, many of us, remember when we came to faith in Christ. I remember. 
I, I, was, I went to high school in Union, South Carolina. Um, we moved there when I was 12. And I went to high school there, and I was a bad kid. That's all there is to it. My mom and dad had divorced, and I lived with my grandparents. So if it could be done, I did it. I knew where to go to get what I wanted and do all that kind of stuff. And so I, I realized all of that. And then when I went off to college, you know, uh, I had a scholarship to Furman University. I played trumpet, and I had a scholarship to Furman University, and I found out you had to actually go to all of the classes, not just trumpet. And so uh, I lost my scholarship, and I was kicked out of Furman, and then I went to the University of South Carolina, and the only course I passed was a course called English, my native tongue. I passed that. And so after two years of college and flunking out of both of them, the Army said, this was back when they had something called the draft. Those of you that are millennials, you need to thank God right now that you weren't back there doing that. This is during the Vietnam conflict and everything. So eventually I went into the Army, got in the Army, played in the United States. I was a combat trumpet player in the Army. You know, three years in the U.S. Army, you know, the whole time. And uh, when I got out, I met my wife, Joyce. I met her. I got saved. And then I, after four or five, I served as a Gideon for many years, put, making sure Bibles were there. And then call, God called me into ministry, and I started going around preaching. And then I you know, went off to college and went back and finished college. And then I went to seminary and did all that. And then I began to pastor and eventually go back and speak. And every time I ever, it, it, this still happens today. Every time I go back to Union to fill in for someone, to, you know, to preach at a church there in my hometown, I, I always pray, Lord, please don't let anybody that knows me from then Please don't let them stand up and say, let me tell you about that guy. You know, I, I fully believe I am forgiven. You understand? I am forgiven in Christ. But I also know where I came from. I really realize where I came from. Uh, my Granny Johnson uh, in, up in Union, I live with my grandfather and grandmother. And Granny Johnson used to, whenever she wanted me to pay attention, she would hold my face. You know, like that. Are you listening? Yes, ma'am. You know, that sort of thing. And, and she wanted to talk to me, make sure I was paying attention. And she told me once, it, it, I, I'm sure she got it from someone else. But she said, never forget who you are and where you came from. Never forget where you are. See, I was the first person in my family to ever go beyond high school. First person. And I'm the only one that ever had, you know, gone to school and done other things like that. And... uh I remember one time, uh, my wife and I, on our 25th anniversary, went to uh, Great Britain. We traveled around uh, England and Scotland. We didn't make it over, obviously, across the water to Ireland, but we were traveling around in there. We went to the Hall of Records because uh, my last name is Bradford, and Bradford is an English name. There's actually a town, uh, a city, rather, in, uh, in England called Bradford, England. And so uh, we went to the Hall of Records to find out because I had three different coats of arms you know what a coat of arms is, right? You know, I had three different coat of arms, and uh, they, were, they were three different ones for Bradford. And so I went over to the Hall of Records, and we you know, paid a, a lady there to help us. And I said, you know, I'm trying to figure out you know, which one of these coat of arms is mine. And she said, well, none of them, sir. I said, what, what do you mean none of them? And she said, well, your family is not nobility. You weren't nobility. I mean, you weren't like dukes and earls and, and all of that. And they're the ones who had coat of arms. And I said, well, how come I have three different coat of arms? And she said, you Americans are very clever. You're a marketer. Because, see, I, I think there was something in me that felt like if I could trace my lineage back, you know, to Sir Somebody Bradford, 
you know, then I would be somebody. Realizing that, you know, the truth is my daddy was a sergeant in the army. My mother was what they called secretary back when that used to be an accepted term. My grandfather on one side was a butcher. My grandfather on the other side was a mechanic. I'm a blue-collar guy who went to school, and I haven't forgotten who I was. Whenever you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God begins this work in you, and it's very easy to forget where you came from. Amazing grace. You were not saved by Jesus because you're a really cool person. You were not saved by Jesus because you cleaned up your act and turned over a new leaf. You were saved because one day you were like this woman in this story. And you realized that standing next to Jesus, you were a flawed human being who didn't have a snowball in hell's chance of ever saving yourself. So you humbled yourself at the feet of Jesus, you placed your faith in him, and he saved you. And ever since then, he's been working in your life, changing you to be more like him, working in your life, helping to make you become more uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all the self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. And God is at work in, do in you. So when you look at a story like this today, who do you identify with? I mean, or you might say, well, well, you know, at times I'm like Simon. I re I re don't be Simon. I don't really want to be Simon. You know, but you may say, well, I know I'm not Jesus. I'm trying to cultivate Christ's likeness in my life. So I know I, I wish I were more like Jesus. But the reality is, for all of us, no matter, how, no matter how long you have been in church, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how much of a moral life that you have lived up to this point, we're all still like that woman, kneeling at the feet of Jesus, saying, Jesus, you are Lord of all. It's like I say, I, I grab the robe of Jesus and say, I'm with him. That's it. That's it. And see, here's, here's the problem for those of us that have been in church a long time. Is that the, the farther we get from this moment in our life when we got saved, the farther we get from here, the more we become like Simon. D does that make sense? I mean, you, under, you understand that it's very easy to become like Simon. To divide the world up into us and them. Good guys, bad guys. People that really do good stuff and people that really do bad stuff. And everybody tends to have someone to, to look down on. This past week, I was uh, meeting with a fellow that just got out of prison. He, uh, I, I have a kind of a discipling relationship with him. He's been in jail six times, so I must not be doing too great of a job. But, but, but this past week, we met and we talked together. And I was talking about this message and... and and uh, he, he, gave, he told me something that I found very profound. He says, in prison, the murderers and rapists look down on the child molesters. So, I mean, so, so here's, can you, I mean, just think about it. Here, here's a guy that, let's say, has killed three people. And he thinks he's better than the guy who's a child molester. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of like we have gradations of sin. You know, when the reality is all of us need to know, it, it's, not, it's not that you need to feel really bad and re- feel really rotten. Listen, repentance is a regular part of life. When the Lord brings up a sin in your life, confess it to him, agree with him, repent of it, and replace it with something that is a good and godly behavior. Do, do all that in your life. But don't let yourself become Simon so that you begin to divide the world into us and them. That there are those, those people out there, those people that are not in church today, Right, they, they tell us that somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 to 100 million Americans are in church today or on this weekend. There's over 300 million people in the country. That's roughly one-third of the country is, is in church today. It's very easy. I, and listen, I do that. I, you can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been driving to church, and, and, uh, and I'm coming to, to a church that dresses more traditionally, you know, uh, I, I actually preached in blue jeans back at River Bluff at times. But, you know, when I'm dressed up, I'm getting dressed ready to go to church. And I'll see somebody, you know, walking up and down the street and they're not going to church. And I'll say, well, now, why aren't you in church? What's the matter with you? Don't you love God? What's the matter with you? I mean, I mean, there's that kind of thing. Or how about this? How many of you have read Facebook recently and got mad at somebody on Facebook? Raise your hand if you have. Be honest. You never gotten. You all are not telling the truth. You know you'd have. You read this thing and you're going, how could anybody believe that or think that? Because it's so easy for us to get mad or angry or frustrated at other people because they're not what we want them to be. And then we we have to be reminded regularly, we're not what we want us to be. Were it not for the mercy of God, we would all be lost So God, I think, speaks to us through this right here and says, look, perhaps those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, and and I'm in the almost 50 years of walking with Jesus, perhaps those of us who have been walking with Jesus need to be remembered, uh, reminded every now and then of just what he saved us from. Not so we'll feel bad, but so that we will be kind. So that we will be compassionate. So that we will love like Jesus loved. I've been, <clears throat> I've been praying three prayers fairly consistently, not every day. But I've been praying three prayers rather uh, regularly over the last several years. And I thought I would bring them to you this morning and perhaps you can join me in praying these. You have a, a, an outline there in your, in your notes. Maybe you want to write down these prayers. Three prayers. Prayer number one. Uh, Lord Jesus, I would ask you that you would help me, please, to see people like you do. See people the way that you do. Um, a few years ago, um, uh, Blair, you and Elise will probably remember this one, but, but a few years ago, I was invited by Mike Huckabee to travel. He, he was a governor of Arizona, uh, not Arizona, Arkansas. He killed me about that Arizona but uh, the governor of Arizona, but anyway, he uh, paid the way for like 35 pastors to go travel um, based on, a, there was a book called The Pope, the President, and the Prime Minister. And it was about Pope John, about Ronald Reagan, and about Margaret Thatcher. And the book, it's not a theological book, it's, it's a book about how these three significant people changed the world. And so uh, Governor Huckabee paid for 35 of us, Marshall, Blaylock, Pastor at First Baptist, 
uh, went with us, uh, uh, Will Browning at Journey Church, Charlie Swain at Cane Bay, and they, they paid the entire thing, I mean the whole thing. And the idea was he wanted to inspire those of us who were pastors to, to make a difference in the world. And he, he showed us, you know, one of the examples was that, that all three of these, uh, the Catholic Pope, Ronald Reagan, and uh, Margaret Thatcher, all three of them could remember their pastors when they were younger and the input that their pastor and so what Mike was saying was you know every Sunday when you talk there may be the next you know Ronald Reagan or Margaret Thatcher there may be the the next you know we've lost one of the great men Billy Graham the next Billy Graham could very well be sitting in Highland Park so he took us on this and he paid our way I mean it was it was outstanding about eight days traveling and uh, hanging out with him and hearing his stories and, and everything uh, but one of the places we went was uh, Krakow, Poland, uh, and that, because that's where Pope John began his ministry, was in Krakow. And Krakow is only about an hour to an hour and a half from a place called Auschwitz. Auschwitz-Birkenau were concentration camps where, mo matter of fact, most of the Jewish people, and you, now you do know that they also executed gypsies, uh, anybody that had a handicap, uh, and uh, anybody of color, that's, that's who they did. Anyway, we went to Auschwitz and Birkenau, and uh, it, we spent the day there. Seeing uh, uh, Now, the Nazis destroyed much of it as they were trying to, at the end of the war, they were trying to cover up the evidence of everything that they had done, but they weren't able to get it all. But we walked through there, and, there's a, and we spent the day there. And there's this one place where, where it's like an, kind of an exhibit hall, but what they have is one room, which is, I don't know, about maybe as big as that room in the back corner, that back, back corner. One of those rooms, it, it's, they're both covered with glass, but they're, cut, they're piled up all the way to the ceiling, hair in one, that they would take all of their hair and use it to make pillows back in Germany. And over in the other one, there were eyeglasses. So everyone who had eyeglasses, all their eyeglasses are there. There was, a, there was another room where they had things like... Um, uh, braces for their legs, crutches, things like that, you know. Uh, and then there was a, a room, they had all their suitcases, you know, because obviously they weren't going anywhere. And so there was all, all of that that we're looking at because I don't know, for those of you that are historically don't know this, by the way, those who do not know history are doomed to report, to repeat it. Let me encourage you, uh, don't, don't have chronological snobbery and assume that this is the best time there ever has been. God has been at work. You know, America's only several hundred years old. You know, so study your history, you know, that, that sort of thing. But, but one of the things that was up there, there's, there's a saying on a wall. And it is a recorded conversation that was transcribed onto the wall. And here's what the conversation is between two Nazi soldiers. One of them is beginning to feel guilty about what they're doing to the Jews. Six million of them. And as he's feeling guilty about this... He, he tells his other, his buddy, and they're probably privates, and they may have been doing everything from leading them to the uh, chambers where they were burned or killing them with the gas and then burning their bodies. They could, they could get rid of 900 bodies a day. That's how many ovens there were. And, so, and then they would sprinkle their ashes on the fields to make the crops grow after stealing all their stuff. But one, one of these guys that was private says to his friend, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, is what we're doing right? And, and here is the quote his friend said back to him. You must never forget, Franz, 
that these are not really people. They are the dark past, the primordial slime. Now, you, as I read it, you can hear the contempt. The contempt that one person has for another person. I want to tell you, um, G.K. Chesterton uh, was asked to write a column years ago and say, what's wrong with the world? And he wrote the column, and it had one word, me. You see, as T.D. Jake says, you and I, we have not done all that is in us to do, but it's in there. You know, hate is not that far from murder. Contempt is not that far from hate. And so those of us who, if there's a, a group of people, whether they're another ethnicity, another social group, another gender, and particularly if there are people who are caught in sin, we're never going to change the world if we don't learn to love them. That's, and the only way we're going to do that is if Jesus helps us to see them like he does. Dr. Martin Luther King said in 1962, I think it is, he was invited to join Huey Newton, I think it is, who was the leader of the Black Panthers. Huey Newton came to him and said, if we, tie, if we combine your religious talk and my violence, we might take over this country. We might deal with these white people. Dr. King said to him, no. And Huey said, why not? And he said, you must first love those you wish to change. Did you get that? You must first love those you wish to change. That's why the second prayer is, Lord, teach me to love like you do. Love, you know, I'm sure with some of the great pastors that have been here before, you've heard about the four different words for love. There's, there's uh, eros, which is romantic. There is storge, which is family. There is phileo, which is friend or associate. And then there's agape or agapao. And that is what is, we normally say best understood as unconditional. See, all the other loves are conditional. Eros, romantic love, is I love you if, you know, if you're good looking. Or if you're romantic, if you're attractive or whatever like that. Uh, Philae, I mean, uh, storge is I love you because you're in my family. You know, or phileo really is I love you because of dot, 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 whatever. You're my friend. I work with you. You go to my church, that sort of stuff. But agape, agapao, is the Greek word that is unconditional love. Now, get this. That is totally oriented towards the welfare of the other. Let me say that again. Make sure you get that. Agapao or agape love is love that is unconditional and is totally oriented towards the welfare of the other person. It is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is seeking the welfare of another. And see, that's how Jesus loved. When Jesus looked at this woman, he loved her. But he didn't love her because she had wet his feet. He loved her because that's who he is. And you see, that's who we are. Did you know that? Did you know that the Holy Spirit of Jesus lives in you? And that the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Agapao. For those who may not deserve it, 
for those that you may look down upon, for those that you think really have no reason to be saved, forgiven, or loved, Jesus loves them. And the army that he has to reach those people is sitting in this room at this minute. As C.S. Lewis says, you have never met a mere mortal. Every one of us are unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And so God brings you together on days like this to say, I want you to be together. I want you to remember my love that saved you. And I, and I want you to love people like that. And when you get out there, prayer number three, I want you to bless them the way that I would bless them. Don't bless them because you think they deserve it. Don't bless them because you think you, they promise you they're going to come to church with you next week. Bless them because that's what we do. We are the army sent into the community to bless others in the name of Jesus because that's who we are. God sends us out there to do that. So now, you heard me talk to you today. You heard the songs. You heard about mercy seeing us. You heard others about us. God has said something to you today, and I don't know what it is. I wouldn't presume, although I've already confessed sometimes, I guess. But don't know what the Lord said to you today. But that second question on your outline there is probably more important. What are you going to do about it? Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, these are your people. They belong to you. And I ask you now, Lord, to take uh, the feeble attempts that I made to speak your truth to them. I, I ask God that you plant them as seeds in their heart and that you do whatever you want to do, even if it's next week. Because I know that you're at work in this church. I know it, Lord. You've been at work in this church ever since the day it was planted. You've got a lot of people here who love you, Jesus. You've got a lot of people here who want to be more like you. You've got a lot of people here who really do want to change the world. But some of us, Lord, have kind of isolated ourselves and, and kind of divided things up so that we're not that involved with people not like us. God, if, if you will move us out, don't, don't let us be like Simon. Stop us, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves before you, realizing our own deep need. And then, God, help us to see people like you do, to love them like you do, and to bless them like you would bless them. Lord, this is what I'm praying for today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.